A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from John Ronson. It was recorded in May 2014 at Littlefield in Brooklyn. Um, I'm going to tell a short story um, which starts, like a few of my stories actually start, um, with me uh, accidentally typing my name into Google. And and I discovered that... um, that another John Ronson had started um, tweeting, and, and its avatar was an avatar of my face, uh, and its name was John underscore Ronson. And as I stared in surprise at its timeline, a tweet came up which said, Going home... Got to get the recipe for a huge plate of guarana and mussel in a bap with mayonnaise. Hashtag yummy. Um, so I, I wrote, who are you? And, and he, he tweeted, watching Seinfeld... I would love a big plate of celeriac grouper and sour cream kebab with lemongrass. Hashtag foodie. (laughs) So I didn't know what to do. Uh, So the next morning, uh, I checked his Twitter feed before I checked my own. And in the night, he tweeted, dreaming, dreaming, or is it dreaming about something about time and cock? <laughs> dreaming about time and cock. That's what he tweeted in the night. Uh, and I looked at his followers list, and he had 20 followers. And some were people that I knew from real life. Um, <laughs> who were presumably wondering why I'd suddenly become so passionate about fusion cooking uh, and also candid about dreaming about cock so I did some digging and I discovered uh, that somebody had, had posted on the Guardian website a man called Luke Robert Mason uh, we've built uh, John his own infomorph you can follow it at, at John underscore Ronson So I realised it was a spam bot. It was a spam bot created by an academic. So I thought, well, that's fine. I'll just just tell him that I don't like the spam bot and he'll take it down. So I found him and I emailed him and I said, can you please take down your spam bot? And he emailed me back and he said, we prefer the term infomorph to spam bot. (laughs) So by now I had a tightness in my chest... Uh, And I said, but it's taken my identity. And he wrote back, the infomorph isn't taking your identity. It is 
repurposing social media data into an infomorphic aesthetic. <laughs> so I was at war with a robot version of myself. So for the, for the next month, uh, I'd say admittedly when I was annoyed about something else, I'd see what John underscore Ronson was tweeting. Uh, and it was always about fantastic dinner parties that he was organising. Um, whereas I, in that period managed successfully to avoid every dinner party I was invited to. Um, except for one, actually. I went to one party in that period. My wife forced me to go to it. Um, and the host said to me, um, would you like some crisps? And I said, no, thank you. I'm going to have cereal when I get home. <laughs> and from the corner of my eye, I saw my wife kind of pointedly glaring at me. And I said, what? And, and she said, be more general. <laughs> she said, your small talk, make it more general. <laughs> and then when I got home, I checked John underscore Ronson's Twitter feed. <laughs> and he'd written... Uh, Hashtag woohoo, damn. I'm in the mood for a tidy plate of onion grill with crusty bed. <laughs> and then woohoo, serving kumquat, soft cheese, and cucumber crepe with a bread roll. Hashtag friends. <laughs> I felt that the people like, who knew me in real life we're getting a disastrously warped view <laughs> on how I felt about parties and, and food and, and friendship. <laughs> anyway, finally, I emailed Luke Robert Mason and I said to him, look, if you absolutely refuse to take your spam bot down, and I've refused to use the term infomorph, uh, can we at least meet... And, um, I, I, and I can, you know, you can explain to me, you know, what it is that you're trying to, to accomplish and I can tell you my point of view and I could film the encounter and put it on YouTube. Uh, and he agreed. So I, so I rented a room in central London uh, and they turned up, uh, three of them, three academics. Um, one was a lecturer at Oxford um, and then the other two. Um, and um, <laughs> I... Uh, I said to them, actually, that I should put them in a row on the sofa uh, so I could film them all in one shot. And the one in the middle, Dan O'Hara, said, we'll play along. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, it's about psychological control, isn't it? And I said, what, me putting you in a row on the sofa is my way of psychologically controlling you? And he said, well, yes, that's, that's how it's done. And I said, how do you know that? And he said, well, I do that with my students. I put the, I, and I said, why, why would you want to psychologically control your students? And he kind of looked slightly worried for a second that I'd caught him saying something eerie. And um, <laughs> he said to control the learning environment. Um, uh, and, and then we had a conversation about the spam bot. Uh, and so I'm going to play you about three minutes of, of our conversation. Yeah. 
Are you going to ring up the London phone book and insist that all the people who have the same name change their, their listings to... Yeah. You know, no, there's, there's something no, 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 because they didn't choose to call themselves John Ronson because of me. Yeah, but You're choosing to call this John Ronson because I, of me. You seem to be saying there is only one John Ronson and I'm the real John Ronson. You're, you're kind of proposing yourself as the real McCoy, as it were, and you want to maintain that authenticity. And I think we feel annoyed with you because we're not quite persuaded by that. We, we get the feeling that you're not so much saying... I want to maintain my integrity and authenticity as the real John Ronson. We think there's already a, a layer of artifice there. And that what you're saying is that it's your online personality, the, the brand John Ronson, that you're trying to protect. Yeah? No, it's just me. I mean, it's not you. No, you're you. We've met you now, today. We're meeting face to face, person to person. The, the internet is not the real world. Yeah, but I write my tweets and then I press send. Mm -hmm. So it's me on Twitter. That's not academic. That's like... I think to take it back to where it came not from... not postmodern. <laughs> Just the fact of it. This is bizarre. I, f I find it really, really strange the way you're approaching it. Um, you must be one of the very few people I've ever come across who's chosen to come on Twitter and use their own name as their Twitter name. I don't really know anyone who does that. And that's why I'm a little suspicious of your motives here, John, because that's why I say I think you're using it as brand management. That's why you're using your own name. You know what? I have, never, I have never used the term brand management in my life. <laughs> I've never used that phrase in my life. But I, you, I just get the sense of... Different, why would you use your own name? You come I, from a whole different bizarre. language to me. These words that you use are a completely different language. Uh -huh. And that's the same about this fan bar. Its language is completely different to mine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah definitely. Yes. Yeah, and yeah, that's what's annoying me so much. It's like a misrepresentation of You'd me. like it to be more like you. No, I'd like it to not exist. Uh, that's, that's bizarre. Then I'd like it to not exist. Yeah. Why? Because, I, I don't know, I find something quite psychologically interesting about that. Why? Um, you know, there's a kind of interesting, kind of uncanny sense of... I, I don't know, I find that quite aggressive, almost. Like, you'd like to kill these algorithms. Then you must feel threatened in some way. I, I imagine you talking about infomorphs and reality discourses while having one of your dinner parties that your John underscore Ranson's always going on about eating your wasabi dumplings. And I would walk past that dinner party and I'd think, God, that's a bit Nathan Barley. Yeah, I can't imagine doing that either. But that's the world that you're presenting to me. Uh, it's fiction. Nathan Barley is a, is a television comedy show in Britain about monstrous hipsters. I should point that out. Um, so I, I, I had to stop the clip there because just after that I got out from behind the camera and I stabbed him in the face! Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I, um, 
I, I staggered out into the London afternoon, and, and I've, I've got a bit, I, I dreaded uploading the footage onto YouTube because uh, I'd been so screechy. And, and I, I thought everybody on, on YouTube would mock my screechiness. Um, but I did, I, I posted it. And then I left at 10 minutes. And then with some apprehension, uh, I, I had a look at the comments. Um, so the first comment read, <laughs> This is identity theft. They should respect John's personal liberty by stopping directly or indirectly impersonating him or face prosecution. And I thought, wow. <laughs> and then the next Twitter comment read, uh, and YouTube comment read, Somebody should make alternate Twitter accounts of all of those ass clowns <laughs> and constantly post about their strong desire for child porn. <laughs> I grinned. <laughs> and then the next comment read, These people are manipulative assholes. Fuck them, sue them, break them, destroy them. If I could see these people face to face, I would say that they are fucking pricks. <laughs> and by now I was feeling giddy with joy. <laughs> I was, um, I, I, I felt, I was like Braveheart. I was like <laughs> marching through a field and at first I'm alone and then suddenly I realise that hundreds are marching behind me. And then the next comment read, Vile, disturbing idiots playing with someone else's life and then laughing at the victim's hurt and anger. And I nodded soberly. <laughs> and then the next comment read, Utter hateful assholes. These fucked up academics deserve to die painfully. <laughs> the cunt in the middle is a fucking psychopath. <laughs> And at that, I frowned slightly. Uh, and I thought, I hope nobody's going to actually hurt them. And then the next comment read, Gas the cunts! Especially middle cunt. And especially left-sided bald cunt. And especially quiet cunt. Although... <laughs> And then piss on their corpses. <laughs> and I, I won. Uh, within, within a few days, they'd taken down the spam bot. But I've got to say, they made a very big meal out of it. It was like, like when Howl gets turned off in 2001. They were like going, we've been, we've been ordered to retire you. Do you know what that means? And I, you don't have long left. How would you like to spend your... And I was, and I was like emailing, just press the fucking off switch, Jesus. <laughs> and, I, and I was glad to be victorious, but I have to say, uh, the whole thing left me feeling slightly uneasy, and it made me feel that perhaps we're becoming the people in the lithographs who are being ribald at whippings. Um, and I, shortly afterwards, I went up to Massachusetts, to the uh, Massachusetts archives. Uh, I was always under the impression that um, 
public shamings were, were outlawed in the 19th century because um, they were just considered pointless that when the villages turned into cities and, you know, nobody was shameable anymore. People would just um, vanish into the crowd. Um, but actually, the documents I found at the Massachusetts archives said the opposite, said that public shamings were banned in the 19th century uh, because they were too monstrous. They were considered worse punishments than death. So I feel bad about leaving the, this anniversary um, <laughs> on such a kind of a sour note, but I just wanted to say that... Uh, it might be worth bearing in mind that we are every day on Twitter nowadays doing something uh, that was considered monstrous in the 19th century. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was John Ronson. John is a British nonfiction author, documentary maker, and screenwriter. His books, Them, Adventures with Extremists, The Men Who Stare at Goats, The Psychopath Test, and Lost at Sea have all been international bestsellers. He's a regular contributor to the PRI show This American Life and has appeared at TED and on The Daily Show. His new book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, is available now. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org. We have archives of the podcast and upcoming events. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, and Ari Daniel. The podcast is produced by Rose Evelith. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Littlefield for hosting the show and to whoever started the Ben Lilly OMG Twitter account. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.